All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we are here for the panel uh, that is aiming to answer the question, where is the cash for musicians today and beyond? The, the million-dollar question, the billion-dollar question, hopefully. And we've got quite a uh, distinguished panel right here uh, getting ready to dig into that for you. So we're going to go through, we're going to talk about the traditional means of making money in music, um, and then we're going to try to get into some of the uh, new and kind of alternative ways that are emerging now. Um, so before we begin, I'd like to just kind of go down the line and have everyone here introduce themselves, um, you know, talk, give a sentence or two about what they do and, and kind of how it relates to the topic at hand. So Dave, go ahead. Uh, my name is Dave Cool. That is, in fact, my real name. I am the director of artist relations for a company called Bandzoogle. We're a website platform for musicians and bands. We power over 22,000 websites around the world. So musicians use our service to build a professional website, sell their music directly to fans. We have an online store feature where we take zero commission of sales. So musicians get 100% of that money. Mailing list is built in. And uh, I do a lot of blogging for Bandzoogle, social media. And uh, a lot of the blogging is about social media marketing and direct-to-fan relationships and how to manage that and all the interesting things that our members are doing and selling and monetizing um, their fan base. Hi, I'm Kristen Thompson. Um, I'm with the nonprofit Future of Music Coalition that advocates for musicians. Um, I prior in prior lives, I was uh, I co-ran an independent record label called Simple Machines, and was in a band that toured a lot. And uh, you know, for the past few years, I've been working on a specific research project called Artist Revenue Streams that's been documenting uh, what revenue streams musicians are relying on and how they're changing over time. So we have. Uh, data from a survey that was you know, answered by over 5,300 U.S.-based musicians and composers, plus some financial case studies and some interviews that uh, we've turned into lots of interesting reports, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of that today. Hi there, I'm Wade Metzler. I'm a 20-some-year veteran of the music industry and many facets of it. Uh, now I head up the artist and industry relations on the West Coast for Sound Exchange, which is uh, independent digital or independent non-for-profit performance royalties organization that collect and distribute digital performance royalties for all artists and um, record labels. Hey, my name is Jay Sider. I'm the CEO and founder of Bandpage. We do two things. We want to help musicians increase their revenue and grow their audience. And we are working so hard uh, to make that happen. We've been around for four years. We have over half a million uh, bands that use the service. We work with every major label and management company out there. And uh, the way we try to help musicians increase their revenue and grow their audience is by when you have something for sale um, you know all your fans are listening to your music on Spotify and Ardio and Rhapsody and you know iHeartRadio Pandora all these places YouTube um, and so what we do is when you put something up for sale on your band page profile we then send it over to be displayed on Spotify and Shazam and all the places your fans are we get your tour dates uh, and bio and, and all that information that you, you put on your band page profile and syndicate it out to all of those different platforms. So if you have anything for sale or any upcoming shows or you know bio and photo information that you want to be displayed to, we now reach over a billion uh, fans across all the services we power. Um, just update your band page profile. Hi, I'm Amy Dietz. I'm the general manager of InGroove's Music Group. We're a distribution platform, an artist services um, division, and a rights management. So what we're really focused on is giving um, our artists and labels options with distribution, a distribution platform that has traditional retail services, all the things that go along with that, an artist service division, which is another layer of services where we sometimes act a bit like your label, things that help um, DAY artists 
take it to the next level. And then we have rights management, which covers publishing, neighboring rights, sound exchange. We spend a lot of time on the traditional areas of um, distribution, but also are always looking for kind of what's happening next, um, people like Bampage, and, and trying to partner with other people to come up with new ways to find revenue for all of the artists that are working so hard and putting out great music. All right. Well, thank you all very much. I realize I forgot to introduce myself. Uh, <laughs> I'm Zach O'Malley-Greenberg. I'm a senior editor at Forbes covering the business of music, and I'm the author of two books, uh, one called Empire State of Mind, which is a biography of Jay-Z, and another one called Michael Jackson, Inc., which is a business-focused biography of Michael Jackson. Um, so uh, without further ado, why don't we dig right in here? Uh, I want to begin with um, a kind of uh, a piece of news that I'm, I'm sure most of you here ha- have heard about and maybe you're tired of hearing about, but can't really ignore it. Um, Taylor Swift put out a new album and then pulled all of her music off of Spotify. Uh, and there's been a lot of ink spilled on that, uh, that that I have read and spilled a little bit myself. But um, basically, you know, what do you guys think that that, that means? I mean, is this kind of, you know, does this mark the, the end of... of uh, of you know streaming as the future of music or is it a blip on the radar um and you know is it just a kind of a thing that that an artist like taylor swift can do and who, who is not really representative of the vast majority of, of other artists out there um why don't we start with uh, well who wants to take it first uh, and i'll take a, a piece all right <laughs> um uh, for me you know that it's a really interesting topic i think it's there's a lot of debate that's happening because of um, because of what Taylor has decided to do. I think that that is interesting, but in and of itself, um, Taylor Swift doesn't represent 99.9% of the actual music industry at this point. Um, there's a few other people that fall into her realm, whether that's Beyonce or other people that are, have as much power and kind of um, is as big as she is and can kind of do exactly what she wants to do. So I think there's a lot of interesting debate about why she did it, what's important around some of the things they've talked about that it the management has come out and said it's really about the the premium model versus the um freemium model um but it doesn't always match up because they're still on youtube so there's it's an interesting debate um but i think we need to not get caught up on what it meant for taylor i think um you know beyonce came out and put out her record only on itunes and did it without anybody talking about it it didn't necessarily change the way everybody did their business overall. Um, it didn't change everyone's desire and how they were going to put out a record. So I don't think it... I think it changes the dynamic for a while. I feel like based on being a distributor, we're going to have conversations with managers and labels for months about whether this is the right thing to do. Um, and I think that there'll be people that think it's the right thing to do right now because streaming hasn't necessarily gone as far as they think it uh it should be going so they're trying to grab some sales now i don't i just don't think it's the end of streaming i think it's just an evolution of how Mm -hmm. this is all going to move forward yeah i think it goes on some sort of marketing ploy as well too as as we see with you two and we see with um you know anybody who is making a decision to not go with the normal road of distributing their music I think a lot of it goes with getting press and to have people talk about it um, and of course you know sales on the front end of that but uh, you know how to to kind of <clears throat> go just directly against Spotify probably because that's the biggest name it, it didn't quite make a heck of a lot of sense to me compared to actually making a stand and saying I'm not going to any streaming service or anybody that has some sort of freemium model 
we think there's a few interesting, which, I, you know, Zach had posed a few questions to us, as far as the fact that there's still other formats that are selling. You know, there's still, this, the CD, while it's not, it's not what it used to be, is still viable um, for a lot of our artists. Um, I think you need to kind of know who the fan is. Um, and I think that there's still a lot of options. So approve some of those things that downloading, you know, it, I think we're often quick to just kill different formats. And if something like this happens, that means it's the end of, it's the end of streaming, it's the end of the CD because this is happening. And a lot of that hasn't really proven out. Um, so I, it's an interesting debate, but I don't think it, it's a blip, I think, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, this, this panel is about generating revenue, right, mm-hmm. today and in the future, and that's what she did, you know? She, it, it, was a, it was looking at how can uh, she generate the most revenue right now, and, and so that's, uh, she had the ability to do that, but I don't think that's, you know, the case. I think it, you know, we're, we're moving forward with streaming. That's clearly happening, um, but it was, you know, a good move for her at this point, mm-hmm. you know, just for now, but I don't, I don't think it says, you know, much about where we're going with streaming that, you know, a bunch of artists are going to start doing this. Um, all right. I mean, I think kind of on that note, you know, I would, I would raise another question, which is where does recorded music fit in, um, as a component in an artist's, uh, revenue stream, you know, as compared to, you know, where it did over the past 10, 20 years. I mean, I think in the past you could you could say that artists would go on tour, uh, you know, and tour to break even or at a loss to promote their record and, and make money off of record sales. And now it's kind of flipped on its on its head. Um, you know, is that a viable model where music is essentially you know ideal? You break even on it and then you make your money on on ancillary stuff and, and touring. Well. Um, from the survey work we did and just from the interviews and things, um, sound recordings as a monetizable thing wasn't a big slice of the revenue pie for musicians. Like in aggregate, it was only about 6% of total gross revenue. But, I mean, it varied up and down based on genre and role and activity levels and whether they had a label deal or not. So there's a lot of different factors that determine just how much the sound recording itself is worth on the market but we have to remember that sound recordings have other they have other purposes first of all they're a document of of creative work so they're you know a moment in time where you said I created this but they're also um, a trigger they're a reason for you to go on tour they're a reason for your publicist to go talk about your records for people to write about them for you to go on tour and then sell merchandise so the sound recording itself um, makes it possible for you to do other things as part of your musical career I think it still starts with the recording, right? Um, And I don't think artists should give up because they hear a lot on the news, especially us in this tech bubble, like, oh, streaming's the future, so downloads are dead, CDs are dead, vinyl's been dead for how many years now? Um, But not. It's not dead anymore. But not dead anymore, that's right, no. So there's so many different formats, depends on your genre and activity level, of course. So if if you release an album and you don't print up a bunch of CDs if you're not going to tour... But CDs can be available on the road because people want something tangible, a souvenir from the show, something that you can easily sign. I work a lot in the folk genre. That's my background. I used to program a few folk venues up in Montreal. And that genre does well with CDs. Other genres don't. So it really, we can't just blanketly say CDs are dead or downloads are dead. It really depends on, on what your demographic of fans are and what they enjoy to consume. But I don't think you should give up or give up asking your fans to pay. I love the pay what you want model. Don't just offer it for free. Just 
if they don't want to pay for it, they won't. But some, you'd be surprised how much money some of your super fans would be willing to sort of tip you or donate for your music. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think the recorded music part of this is is definitely evolving. The idea of, that you have to create a full record and have a street date, and you have to have twelve months to to promote it all and to get it all set um, has definitely changed. I think that that actually everything I just said, creating a record, 12 months to, to promote it all, really works for some people. But it's, there's, we live in a world that you can put out two songs at a time, a song at a time, um, and really build engagement with your fans. So it, the, the question around, is recorded music an important part of a musician's life, is absolutely yes. I think it's changing in what, um, how you present that to, to the world. It doesn't always have to be in the format that it traditionally was in order to be able to monetize it, to be able to tour, to be able to build other things around it with some of the other tools that are uh, available to you. Um, it, you know, we've been talking a lot about recorded music, but uh, and I think it's the kind of sexier uh, part of, you know, of the, the music side of things. But, you know, what about publishing and licensing? I mean, I, I think that there's been, you know, a lot of talk about recorded music and how things are going down the drain, but... You know, publishing, it's its like a little bit of a different story there. What are you guys seeing on, on your end? I'm definitely not a publishing expert. We do have a rights management um, part of, of what InGroove's music group does. Um, what seems to be happening is similar to what's happening in the recorded, recorded music side in that um, the the revenue is shifting, you know, where the, where the revenue used to come a lot from mechanicals. That was a very big portion of where your revenue came from and which was from the recorded music, from an actual album. A lot of that is moving to um, kind of performance. Um, and in the case of publishing, there's a lot of metadata issues as far as getting paid, making sure that your metadata is all correct and all of the, the places – uh, that it's basically matching correctly. It's that it, it's you're set up correctly, but not only that you have it set up correctly, that the people that are paying you have it all set up correctly. And there are definitely some challenges for that community to get all of this stuff um, matched up properly. So, I mean, that's the extent of what I know. I, mean, I know you have. I mean, I think pub- uh, publishing uh, to me is a great source of income. And uh, to, if, you, if you have a, um, a hit song, I mean, this could be your 401k for a very long time that continues to generate uh, income on performance royalties or if it's synced or what have you. I mean, there's some definitely a you know, vast amount of money for a good songwriter. So just write a hit song, right? <laughs> It's that easy. It's simple. It's simple. There you, there you, you know, it, but on your point, though, as far as clearing something on publishing side, I mean, you're looking at... Um, you know, if you're attempting to clear a song, some of the, you know, a Jay's or, or Beyonce song could have seven writers on it with seven different publishers, and you need to go clear not only the master side of that if you're going to use that master recording, but also go to maybe seven different publishers to actually get approval on that. And the, um, the time and effort spent to do that is almost at that point not worth it. So it's, it's, it's very, very difficult unless you have a blanket license with a lot of the major labels too, you know, depending on what your service is. But as far as revenue generator... I mean, it can be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, when, if you really get to the revenue part of it, there's there's a lot of things that, I mean, I, th- I think one of the themes that will end up happening from this entire panel is that there's a lot of places revenue comes from. It's not just the one recorded music place. So it's really about knowing where your options are to actually get revenue from. On the publishing side, you know, whether that's sound exchange, whether that's uh, neighboring rights, just knowing what is out there for you to actually be able to 
take money in from and making sure that the pennies that are out there are being allocated to you and that they're not just lost in the ether uh, in suspension somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a lot of revenue. It's just making sure that you know what you should be looking for and, and what you should be um, taking in. You know, um, one of the things about the Artist Revenue Streams project, the first step and actually the, you know, sort of the impetus for the work was actually trying to document just how many revenue streams there were for U.S.-based musicians and composers. And when we started off, we did this blog post, 29 revenue streams, you know, so that was like in October 2009 or something. And that was just our first uh, effort. Um, but then a lot of folks, you know, maybe folks in this room got back to us and said, oh, don't forget this. And what about that? Oh, and there's this new one. And so right now our list stands at 45. Um, and if you go to money.futuremusic.org, you can see the list of 45 revenue streams. We have another version of the same information called Revenue Streams Existing, Expanded, and New, which actually brings me to uh, Wade, because um, part of the research we did, we, all, we all, always asked everybody in interviews, like, what's the revenue stream that surprised you the most? And oftentimes, it was sound exchange money, which is actually a new revenue stream for sound recordings that didn't exist until about 12 years ago. And so maybe Wade, I'm just putting on the spot here, talking about sound exchange... Well, you know, a little bit about sound exchanges. You know, it, it, about 10 years ago, they gave out their first distribution, and that was $20 million for that year out to the artists, or to the artists and to the record labels. Last year, we gave out almost $600 million in royalties. So you're looking at the curve, as you know, one of those hockey stick curves that you don't normally see in this business. Uh, next year, we'll probably give out close to about seven to $800 million, and it just continues to grow from there. Uh, just in this quarter, we gave out $267 million um, in royalties in Q3. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, we, we, see, we have about, I think it's 2,500 different um, services that report into us. Obviously, the main, we work on non-interactive radio. So those are services like Pandora and SiriusXM and any sort of radio-like digital service. Um, we don't work with Spotify. Well, we do work with Spotify Radio, but not Spotify or um, any of the other actual streaming services because they do direct licenses. So we do the non-interactive part. And main, obviously, the main income source for our art, for the artists in, on our side is definitely Pandora um, with Sirius close behind and then kind of everybody else stacking up down there. But you're looking at 2,500 different services that are paying into us that people are earning off of. So that's, you know... The, the royalty stream on our side, we see vast growth, and it doesn't slow down anytime soon, which is a real bright spot um, for this industry, and that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you guys pay artists directly? Directly. So we pay artists directly. You know, the, we're one of the, we pay monthly, which is great, but we also make sure that the artists get um, – thanks for the commercial, Sorry. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just apologize to Zach. No, Sorry. no, no. no, this is great. <laughs> yeah, no um, you know, but we make sure that the artists get paid directly and that it doesn't go through the record label so it's that there's no sort of recoupables taken out of what they actually earn. So it generates and goes straight to them. Um, and I had another great point that will come to me here in a minute. But, um, you, know, you know, one income source that we're definitely missing on, on the performance royalty side, at least for the performers, the performing artists and for the labels, is terrestrial radio. Um, as it is now, you know, for years they've been paying, you know, ASCAP BMI for the, pu- for the songwriter and the publisher side of it. But there's no terrestrial radio actual performance royalty for the actual performing artist and the record label. So this is something that we're working on heavily. 
to try to bring into the revenue stream. We're talking, I think last year it was something like $17 billion that the, that the terrestrial radio had earned in income. So if um, any sort of piece of that to be um, handed out to the artists and labels on our side you know, would be obviously fantastic. So that's something we're working on very heavily right now to hopefully put that into the revenue stream as well. And I would add to that, I mean, I think one of the things that goes overlooked in the whole streaming debate is that streaming services do pay um, the performer as well as the songwriter, uh, unlike terrestrial radio, which I think people don't really like to talk about too much. But um, I guess it's, you know, kind of an unsexy point. But um, yeah, so I mean, we've kind of gotten into into the next question already, which is, you know, what are the new and non-traditional means of earning money that that artists are overlooking right now. I think sound exchange is is a great example. Um, you know, but what are the other ones uh, that you guys are seeing? I mean, Kristen, what are some of the other of the the forty five uh, <laughs> that um, that people might not really well, know about? Well, I mean, it's not like our s- survey data just showed an ex- extreme, like you know, surprising results. Like people were making money on doing producing or. Um, making money from the AF of M after intellectual property rights fund if they were a session musician. Um, it depended a lot on people's role and genre and the kind of work they do. But, you know, we asked questions about just to get baseline information on fan funding, on YouTube partner payments, on um, ad revenue, on sponsorships. Um, these are all things that were usually either, either they didn't exist or they were the, you know, only available to the top mini 1%. You know, so... I think there's folks on this panel that can talk about their experience in that environment. I think it's important to keep in mind that um, not all fans are created equal. So you're going to have different types of fans. You're going to have the casual fan that might stream your song once in a while on Spotify. You're going to have other fans who are going to want to go to your website to find out more about you and maybe buy some limited edition merchandise. Um, we have a band on Google called Enter the Haggis who did a documentary film about the making of their record. They used their mailing list of about 20,000 fans, said... Our documentary film's on sale for the next 24 hours, get it for 50% off, and they sold hundreds of copies of this digital file. They kept, because it's through Banzoo, they kept 100% of that money, and they sent us a note saying, man, we just raised thousands of dollars for our next tour. So not all of their fans are going to buy that, but they're super fans that want to consume everything that the band is doing. Um, you have to remember those fans because, I mean, we have bands selling, like, branded voodoo dolls, like this metal band that has these branded voodoo dolls in their store, and people are buying it, but not not the casual fans, but you can't just put out the music and put it on streaming. You have to think about all those different fans who are going to want to experience your music and your career on a different in a different way and on a different level. Yeah. Uh, so, I want to tell a story. Um, so, in the gaming business, um, and, and just to look at different industries and, and how our industry is evolving. Uh, in the gaming business, um, before 2007, you went to the store, you bought a game, you went home, you played it. And the gaming business had no idea how many times you played that game. If it was one time or ten times or, you know, you played it for ten hours straight. Then in 2007, it, it came online. And every gaming company could see how many times, you know, you you'd play that game, whether you played for a minute or 10 minutes or five hours. And what that did for the gaming business is it, it was a tens of billions of dollars increase just because they're able to see who you are as a, you know, as a, as a gamer, as, a, as somebody you know, that's playing their game and, and when to monetize uh, you know, or when to show you something to buy. Uh, the same thing in the music space is, you know, is happening. Um, you know, before this point, there was you, you'd, you'd, the, the fan would go to the store, buy a CD or buy a record, go home, listen to it, Listen to it one time, ten times, but the musician had no idea how many times, you know, 
how big of a fan that was, how, how much money they were willing to spend, how invested they are. Now we have streaming, and it's, it's amazing because you can see that in the same way that the gaming space did. You can see that this particular fan listened you know, 23 times or 50 times or 150 times in the last 30 days, and, and we can now target them. So not only do we need to look at new revenue streams, but just as a business in general, general being able to target our customer. You know, we, as musicians, we are a business, and, and our fans are our customers. And understanding who your fans are uh, and being able to target them in the same way that the gaming business went through in you know, 2007, we're going through right now, and there's just an amazing opportunity, tens of billions of dollars opportunity that we're going through as well. So it's not you know, only the new revenue streams that are, that's happening, but this huge opportunity as a business to, to be able to reach and monetize your customer. That, that's, it's just it's amazing. And we're starting to see that. We've, you know, at Bandpage, we're, we're helping musicians reach their fans on Spotify and Shazam and you know, all these places. And, um, you know, we've helped bands double their tour revenue. Uh, you know, there's a band out of Austin, Texas named um, what is it? Wild Child. They increased their tour revenue by 50%, you know, just by um, putting extra things up for sale. So instead of just doing the, the concert, they also did meet and greets, you know, at the, sh- um, at the show where they played you two songs before the show. Joe, back there. I'm going to call you out, is the uh, manager of the Stone Foxes. Um, they did uh, meet and greets to, you know, before the show, increase revenue on their tour by 25%. So there are all these things that, that we can be doing, not only you know, new things to sell, but being able to reach a customer you know, in a really targeted way is, um, you know, is, is an incredible opportunity for this business that we're just starting to get into right now. You don't have to spend as much money throwing it out in, in the dark. You have a lot more information, too, with limited resources being able to target um, using a lot of the tools that are available with the data that's coming back, which does make it much more exciting as opposed to just kind of spending a whole bunch of money, hoping you're hitting the right target, uh, the right audience that's actually going to react. You have a, a much better way of – and actually then seeing the reaction. Mm-hmm. You can actually then see if somebody is, is paying attention, which does make it really exciting. Yeah, I mean, we used to walk around – you know, I've managed bands and venues. I'm a musician myself before I started Bandpage. And, um, you know, we used, to, we used to walk around and, you know, do flyers and posters and whatever and you know, hopefully trying to hand the right flyer to the right person that was walking down this, you know, block that I was standing on. Versus now I can hand the flyer, you know, virtually to the person that listened to my song 23 times. Here's the flyer for my show for the person that listened 57 times. Here's a VIP, you know, meet and greet for the person that listened to me 150 times. It's just, it, it's, ne- it's never been possible. And again, for the gaming business, it was a tens of billions of dollars increase. And, and that's what we're going through right now. And sorry if I keep talking. Uh, but like, there are, there are, and there are really great new forms of uh, revenue that are coming out and being proven you know, through the, the crowdfunding uh, sites, uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, uh, Pledge Music, um, you know, they're seeing real um, uptick in, in revenue that you can create as a musician. Uh, another site that recently came out uh, from a good buddy of mine, Patreon, uh, is doing really well too, um, where every time you release a new piece of content, um, you know, your fans can say, every time this artist releases a new piece of content, I want to uh, give him a dollar or $2 or $3. And so now his band, Pomplamoose, is making, I think, $6,000 or so every time they release it. And there are other bands that are making, you know, uh, more and, and up-and-coming bands that are making, like, a couple hundred bucks when they do it. So, you know, we don't really we don't really care as, as band pages uh, uh, as uh, far as, you know, the the types of ways musicians are, are generating revenue, we, we want to help them get that out to uh, their fans across these services. So we'll pull in you know, Patreon campaigns, 
pledge music campaigns, Bandcamp, anything. We'll pull it out and, and push it out to those fans. Uh, but we're just starting to see really incredible conversion rates uh, from traditional and new forms of revenue. Um, I'll add too, you know, I guess on that note, uh, I think the CD is kind of a, it's, it's a dead object. It doesn't tell you anything really. Like once you sell it, it's out there, it's done. And, and as we were saying before, how many times you play it, you never know. Um, but it's interesting to see too, you know, hearing all the stories about, uh, particularly on the touring front, you know, artists will talk to Spotify or, or really anyone who has that kind of data on where music is being streamed. And, you know, there's a, a story, it may be apocryphal, but that on Jay-Z's last tour, uh, he figured he would go, you know, when he went to Europe, he, he would just go to London for a couple of shows in the UK, and then he would go on to Paris or Amsterdam or wherever. Uh, but he talked to the people at Spotify and found out that actually he was being streamed very heavily in Manchester and played a sold-out show or two there. Uh, you know, so that's the kind of stuff that's that's available now. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of turn it uh, back a little bit and say, you know, we're talking about the, the new ways of making money and the new income streams, but but what are the traditional uh, uh, income streams that artists are, are kind of overlooking right now, um, you know, maybe because they're, they're more focused on the new stuff? I, I don't know that there's a lot that people are overlooking. I think that it's... Um, uh, to go to kind of the the crowdfunding and and things like that, we definitely and in, in the labels and artists that we work with, we certainly have some people that kind of don't want to feel like they're asking their fans for money. Um, so you end up with a little bit more traditional campaigns when you're talking about doing something potentially with Pledge or. Uh, Bandcamp or any one of those kind of ecosystems that end up being a little bit more like a, a pre-order as opposed to um, uh, where it really feels like you're asking for a certain amount of money before a record gets made. So there are I, – I don't know that there's anything that people are really missing, um, but there are people that are more interested in doing things just slightly more traditionally and, and potentially not wanting to feel like they have to do a meet and greet every time they um, go do a show. Uh, so giving them some other tools to be able to to still sell their music without having to do those all of those things and, and present them in a way that it's more of like a, a pre-order event um, as opposed to just crowdfunding in the same way. I'm going to make a statement. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's... It, it's funny, you know. We have this, we have this big conversation right now about how we're not making money, you know, uh, you know, and especially you know a lot of up and coming musicians. Well, you know, I was I was in bands, I managed bands, big and small, and you know, as up and coming bands, we never made a lot of money. Uh, you know, even if we had CDs to sell when they were selling, you know, in the heyday of, of that time. Um, and and so I think it's funny because we we're putting this focus on well you know where's the revenue and yes it, it's 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 taken a, a huge dip uh, kind of at the higher level of the industry um, but at the end of the day you're a business like literally pretend that you're um, a, a shop that's selling socks in the middle of um, Times Square and you just open shop uh, right so you just you know recorded your song and you open shop and you're like there's a bunch of people walking by how do I get them in. What things, you know, can I can I sell these people? What what price point should it be? What 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 do they what value uh, do they see in, in the things that I can provide? And I'm an entertainer. I'm a musician, and I think it's frustrating as you know musicians to to see to, or to feel like people, fans, customers don't value uh, the art that you know that we create. But it's just uh, an evolution of kind of what's happened in the music business. Um, you know, in, in today's moment. So we really just need to think about ourselves, whether you're a, a you know, small, medium, or large musician, that you're a small, medium, or large business, 
and what's you know what is it that your customer finds value in what will they pay for and and how do you reach them effectively um and so all these you know i think you know getting the music out there is is obviously the most important but then how do you can you interact with them you know stage it's done a uh, some really interesting things musicians have made some good money there uh and and you know patreon and and, and pledge music and Bandcamp and a, a, a number of, of these other ones um you know it people are making money and so you need to try those different things out with your fan base to to see what works for you um, if merch doesn't sell, try different types of merch. You know, people are fashionable. They want to feel cool, selling something cool, design, you know, get a good design out. Um, so it's, um, I don't, as far as like traditional things, I think people are still trying them, but it's still hard, you know, uh, as a small, medium, or large business to, um, to become a big, successful business and brand. And also just very quickly, to under- musicians should understand that they're, selling socks at Times Square with thousands of other musicians selling socks yeah, right. totally. at Times Square. So yeah. how do you stand out from yeah. all those other, other sock vendors? Yeah, and I think to some extent you can kind of look at it like all musicians coming up are kind of like startups and you have to figure out when you want to turn on the monetization, right? Like maybe it does make sense to 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 put out your product i mean basically for free or at a loss for the first however much time and then but then you have to start actually making money to to kind of you know have a have a livelihood um and then the question is when do you do that so i guess on that note i'll, I'll come to uh to the last question um before we get into your questions and that is if you uh, woke up tomorrow morning and found yourself in a band that had just recorded a killer album uh, but had blown all of its money on recording the album, or maybe there was a little bit left over and like your dog ate it or something, I don't know, whatever. Um, you have a, your, your band, great album, no money, uh, tomorrow. Wh- what do you do? You have no record deal, nothing. But where do you start? Where do you start making money? Where do you start trying to market your, your wares? Um, how do you go with that? First thing I would do is rehearse to the point where your live show is incredible, <laughs> and so that everyone that sees you live is going to talk about you on social media and spread the word, and that's one of the best things you can do. Yeah, and as a musician, you need to educate yourself on everything that is out there and that is available to you, and um, you know, as being a small business, you need to be the business owner, and you need to own up to yourself and, and not wait for someone else to help you get the money in you really need to educate yourself on what has to be done and there are so many different avenues as we've talked about and so many different revenue streams that are available at this time it's a matter of knowing about them and getting on them and being able to kind of promote yourself through these vehicles that are already there um i have three tips for the band that just finished recording a record which is um have you got an intra-band agreement that actually documents who owns what and what percentage (laughs) because um of putting out records in the 90s when we were our our objective was to sell things until they didn't exist anymore so we're like thousand seven inches done next and so but now things exist way past probably the lifespan of your own band so you have to actually be able to pay royalties to bands 25 years from now so you have to know who owns what and what percentages uh go to which person and it also helps signing up with Sound Exchange and your PRO because they're going to ask what splits there are because it's important. And these are all the foundational parts. Having the proper metadata, the proper credits is the sort of key, the baseline you need for your, money, for your music to be discovered, for it to be attributable to you, and for you to be paid for it. So, I mean, I think having an interband agreement that documents it and then being careful and diligent about your metadata will, is the basic beginning of other things. 
I would say first step, call Wade and see if he's got any money for you. you know. Yeah, well, it's very it's true. true. I mean, it, it's 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 very true. I mean, we find um, money. I mean, that's what we do constantly. I mean, it's we we do a. Um, in Los Angeles, I do a night every Monday at the Bardot, and it's just four bands that play and three DJs. And I look up every band that's, you know, I do it with Chris Doritas and some some other people, promoters there. And we look up the bands that are all playing and that we're booking, and, um, you know, all of them are not necessarily um, affiliated with Sound Exchange yet because a lot of them are up and coming. And we've already, for over the past few months, found $85,000 for some of the bands that were there and gave them seventy five already and now just kind of getting their other ones in, in line. So it's not unheard of that, um, you know, I look somebody up and there's $17,000, $25,000, dollars waiting for them. Um, and, uh, and that's a great way to obviously get a hold of people. We have a very difficult time, believe it or not, well, you can believe it, of actually getting a hold of somebody and say, hey, you know, we have, we're sound exchanges, who we are. Um, we have royalties waiting for you, et cetera. And they're, they're, you know, it's pretty much like, oh, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, they just think it's somebody giving out free money just because they're not educated on what we are and what we do. So it's, sometimes it's very, very difficult to actually give out that money. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm a business and I just created my first product, um, I think I would, I would think about what's the most cost-effective way to get that product out to people. So I'd pay a little bit of money. Uh, to get it distributed and get it in front of people. Um, and then I'd look at how many people, you know, who, who is my customer, uh, what's the demographic, what, you know, what do they spend, what things are they buying these days, where are they located. Um, I'd probably put together, you know, I'd, I'd knock on every venue door. Uh, I'd talk to every band that's playing and try to open for them, get in front of their crowd. I'd, I'd put all my music out there, um, you know, for free uh, as I was just starting to be able to build that up. And um, uh, and then I would start to I think you know play more shows, understand you know the the types of products that my customers are, customers are willing to buy, um, and take it one step at a time until I can get it to a point where you know I can actually sell enough things to to start making you know a, a career out of that. Um, but but again, it just starts as a as any any startup you know just like we started Bandpage here in San Francisco. I was sleeping on the floor you know for a year. Uh, eating rice and beans, uh, you know, trying to build build this product and find the right customers and, and market and, and build it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just, you know, I think we need to shift our mindset as, as musicians to, you know, small, medium, and large businesses. Well, and there's services like in-groups that are able to take a band that, that is doing and being able to get it to every different revenue source possible out there and then, and, and, and you know, be able to kind of work at a one-stop shop like that, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, I was going to say, it's, it, as we talked about, it's really knowing what you touched on, knowing what is available to you. Um, the joke I said when he first said that was, um, if I was in a band, I wouldn't spend all my money on making a recording. Um, I probably would spend some of my money on making a recording. I'd probably spend a lot of my money on um, trying to play shows, actually figure out who we were, who our fan is. Um, and I think we've all said it in, in many different ways, really understanding who your fan is. Everything that we just said are ideas of where monetization can come from. But ultimately, you as the artist have to understand what your fan is willing to buy, where are they, are they do they skew that they actually want more physical than they want digital. It doesn't mean you don't put it up digitally, just what should your focus be. You really need to understand who you are and who your actual um, fan is. And when you know those kinds of things, then you can start to see all of the tools that are available to you and understand what you need. 
you know, maybe you have one single and you think you just need to put it out on your own, but you get into four or five songs and you've played and you actually want somebody that can help you with other services such as in grooves where you actually have, you know, you can get your music out to all of the retailers. There's actually services that we can provide marketing for you. Um, we can help you with other into publishing and kind of be a one-stop shop for all of these things. You can see what the evolution of you, you as an artist is and there's tons of options for you and it's really about educating yourself as to what, you really need at the time and sometimes also not getting bogged down in all of the tools and being so concerned about when you should post stuff and like some of the minutia it's it's really understanding what you're trying to accomplish and getting people to help you to do that I just want to add one thing, and I apologize in advance because this is not going to be a popular statement, but if I was in a band that just spent all my money on recording an album, I would go get a day job or a side job <laughs> and make money, or play cover gigs, uh, teach, give workshop, like hustle, make money. I made a documentary film 10 years ago uh, called What is Indie? It was a look at the independent music movement that was just starting to bubble up at the time, and I worked a full-time day job to fund it and to market it, and no regrets. I mean, that was what was necessary, and you just have to... I don't. I'm more conservative with this kind of thing, but I don't. I don't think it's beneath anyone to work a job and pay the bills <laughs> until you're ready to take that jump. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, on that note, why don't we move along to your question? So we've got a microphone um, back here, and uh, just uh, kind of go ahead and I think we had one over here from like ten minutes ago. No. no? Okay. We go. Go ahead. <laughs> You mentioned one thing about interesting revenue streams like the meet and greet before the show. Do you have other other things to share that have been working for artists? Yeah, so the main things that we're seeing, so we've, you know, hundreds of thousands of products in the uh, across the stores now. Um, and, you know, any in-person experience um, sells really well. Um, and if you take any, so like, whether that's uh, you know a backstage pass or like even for this you know the the, the stone foxes um, you know the, Joe you guys are playing when you're touring you're playing to you know two three hundred people when you're playing here you're playing to like five hundred seven hundred people right in hometown is that right right so you know I, I think what the industry uh, has missed a bit is they only a lot of up and coming artists believe that. You know the, those in-person experiences are only for the big bands, and people aren't willing to pay. But they sold them for like twenty bucks a pop, thirty bucks a pop. And fans, they're not musicians; they've never been backstage in a shitty pub, and <laughs> you know, and and you're their you're their favorite band, and so they're you know they're willing they'd love to spend an additional twenty bucks. And if you're making you know if you net three hundred bucks or five hundred bucks, and you can you know make an extra two hundred bucks by selling ten to twenty people, like that's um, or that's an incredible, you know, uptick in revenue for you. So any in-person stuff like that, as well as if you take any old, uh, what we've also seen is any old um, piece of inventory, uh, so piece of merch or vinyl, and you sign it, that really matters to people. Uh, and you, you can mark it up, uh, you know, 20% or so um, and sell it. Also online uh, concerts, that's, that's something that's very affordable and easy to do. Um, so Stage It is obviously known well for, for that but also YouTube you know Google Hangouts stuff like that you can Skype you can you can do those um, online interviews and, and concerts for for 10 bucks uh, or 20 bucks or 50 bucks we've had uh, up to a couple thousand dollars where there was an online you know concert uh, that happened so 
um, those are those are working really well also. And just to add to that, not to take too much farther, but the, I think the interesting piece of, of that that we didn't really touch on much is there's fans are looking for a connection and and when you talk about streaming there's it's a it's a box on a on a on a on the service you know you don't even really get the full artwork experience you know many of us that are vinyl fans there's a different experience in general so when you do things like that and you have somebody who comes sees you at some pub when you know there's 200 people they'll remember that forever and they will likely be a fan for life because of it so when you when you take that extra step We've kind of moved away from the emotional connection from having the thing in your hand, even though people will buy that too. Um, when you create other areas like that, I think you really create a fan connection, a fan engagement, and that's what gets you gets really people to stick around, kind of for life. And I, sorry, one more thing: um, house concerts are is are, are working incredibly well. So um, Leah Rose, another local artist to San Francisco, but we also have, you know, a, a bunch of art, other artists that are doing this. Um, she's, she's charging 500 bucks to come do a house concert. Um, and if you play at any of the, you know, m- small or medium sized venues around town, you know, you hardly make that at, at, at a show. And so if you just go to a house, put out some wine and cheese, and invite people over. It feels really special. It's it's unique. It's it's interesting, um, and they're willing to pay. You know, instead of five or ten bucks to go to a smaller venue around town, they'll pay twenty or thirty bucks because uh, it's kind of this special thing. That's working really well for you know up and coming artists as well. I was good. Join it. Give them some. You know, give them a drink and tell them to join in. <laughs> dance around. <laughs> I was going to bring up the same thing. My uh, friend, the White Buffalo, when he was first getting started, he would do house counters and he would do it for a case of Budweiser. And he would, you know, pretty much like bring, invite your friends. He was really about this is that was his social networking. You know, bring your invite your friends over. I'll come over and, uh, and and play for you guys. First, I'd like to thank you for this excellent panel. A lot of great information. Second, are any of you looking for socks? <laughs> uh, and I, I was just curious if you have any thoughts on the distribution method of like Tom York recently releasing Tomorrow's Modern Boxes just um, on BitTorrent and also the type of release that comes out of the blue, which a lot of people are, like you were saying, the traditional way is having like a bunch of promotion. And recently some artists have just been like, hey, my album's ready for download. Here, go here and buy it right now, you know? And a lot of popular artists. So I was wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Sure, model. that's great when you've had years of major label marketing behind yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Works well. If you're a, an unknown artist and you're just like, surprise, here's my album. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be as effective. I don't know if anyone. I, I, no, I completely agree. agree. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of it, again, is this is more marketing ploys and ways to kind of get press on what you're doing and kind of making money on the back end of something like that or long tail of it. Um, so, you know. I I don't I kind of take those with a grain of salt of what of, what, of some of those some of those that are happening. I think it was I believe in like like Ty Siegel though he's I think he put out like five albums last he, year he or something like that. yeah. Answer. I mean there's someone that just is just like Prolific. okay I'm done he puts it out and you know and believe it or not he does quality so it's uh, you know that's someone who's definitely taking advantage of the 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 uh, system as it is right now and really getting music out there and keeping himself fresh all the time and not uh, you know not waiting for every two years putting out an album or what have you I think it goes back to the the idea of who's your fan with somebody like with Ty you know Ty I happen to be a huge Ty Siegel fan yeah. I'll buy anything that he puts out I love that he puts out tons of records that doesn't necessarily work for everyone so it does kind of go back to who who is your fan um the major label like if you're tom york you can you can do kind of anything you want um and you have a huge fan base 
that if you just put it out and nobody knows who you are, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. But you can do that. I mean, there is – it's knowing what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you can definitely spend a year promoting something and building up and having an entire plan, or you could try to put something out in a month. Um, Tom York losing fans more than gaining them, I think. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's I, a good I think with his hijinks, I think he's more, I don't know, in my, in my opinion at least. It's, it starts to get a bit yeah. boring. Yeah. Um, and I'll, by the way, we're always looking for socks. <laughs> and, and I'll add too on the note of, you know, uh, up and coming songwriters or singers or singer songwriters. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that, that I've been seeing more of lately is, is actually um, uh, acts or songwriters, in particular, Getting their getting essentially broken by uh, a, a commercial, being in a commercial, having a song placement in a commercial. Um, I don't know if you guys know the uh, LP uh, singer songwriter out of LA. Uh, she actually got her. She you know she's been around for for a few years, but she got her big break really when uh, she got one of her songs called Into the Wild played in a city commercial. If you don't know it, look it up. You've probably heard it Into the Wild. But anyway, you know her song appeared in, in this commercial and, and then people be like, Oh yeah. And, uh, and I think that that's kind of, um, uh, represents a bit of a change where in the past that would have been seen as selling out. And, you know, maybe to some extent it still is, but you know, the reactions I've seen around that particular, uh, example are like, yeah, good for her. She, you know, she, she found a way to get paid and, and, you know, get her music played. So, um, yeah, I think that's another, a big change and and uh, you know a, a kind of a route um, for singer songwriters. Hi, I'm uh, Tom Murphy from the SF chapter of the Recording Academy. Um, one topic that the Taylor Swift discussion brought up is her comment about music having value. And on the one hand of the spectrum, we have more and more new free services that make the kind of the infinite jukebox in the sky available, which can be seen as devaluing a song. Um, but then uh, the question I have to you is simply what are things that can be done by artists to show the audience the value, uh, more value of their music? That this isn't just one in the sea of anything, but this is something that's more special, that's worth paying for, perhaps. Knowing who you are as an artist and telling that story um, and engaging with your fans. Uh, it's really become part of the job description uh, to engage with your fans online. I know a lot of musicians aren't comfortable with that and I don't re really know what to say to musicians when I get asked that. Well, I don't really like going on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. I don't know what to say because that's where your fans are hanging out and you can really develop a relationship with them and that adds context and value to what you're doing as an artist. Although sometimes a little mystery is interesting. Too. I mean, sometimes yeah. you have people that they're exact opposite that you you know some it, the, stuff just happens. Sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint any of the things that are going to turn into uh, you know a, a marketing explosion. But sometimes it's the person who's never been on Twitter and you have no idea who they are and you've heard the song and you're really interested by it. But overall, it's absolutely about. I agree with that. I always find those types of artists have some kind of marketing team behind them. There's somebody doing <laughs> There's something. Somebody. There's yeah. somebody. They got some licensing. Yeah. Awesome thing. But I think too, you know, the world's changing, at, like, and not just in music, in in so many different industries where, you know, writers aren't getting paid nearly as much for you know what they're doing, and um, it it's really exciting. I, again, I think it's a really exciting time because you know the only way to reach our fans a number of years ago was through you know social networks like you know Facebook and Twitter, but now they're 
it, instead of you having to keep updating all of these places, um, you know, to 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 create that engagement, there your fans are just listening to you and interacting with you on all the different streaming services. So I think it's you know our job and uh, uh, as an industry to enable you as a fan or as a band to to reach us. Of course, so that, that's exactly what we're focused on. So I don't mean to be you know. Now, that's that's all I think about all day is but I, but it's it's really an exciting time because I remember you know when Facebook we we were the largest music app on Facebook you know at a time um, and so we were really focused on on keeping that engagement up and then you know they went down to okay now you can when you post you only reach sixteen percent of your fan you know base and now it's you know six per, five or six percent or whatever um, and you can do a promoted post and reach them and having to keep that up but now you have literally there's over a billion people fans a month that are listening to music across you know the the different streaming services and lyric sites and and, and that are engaging out there and so it's just you know hitting them at, at the right time uh with that so uh, you know i i think we can bring value i think certain artists can bring value back to like uh to to the music to get fans to buy the music but i also think you know there's a clear trend you know that that's happening and consumers just aren't willing to pay you know it's it's very public and, and factual that that consumers aren't paying that much and so uh for for the song and so how do you generate revenue around that and i think that's uh the thing that we need to continue to to focus on and and a lot of other industries have have done that and, and been successful in, in moving in that direction all right we got time for a couple more we got one right here Hi, my name is DJ Celeste, and I'm a local music producer, and I work as a DJ. And this is kind of along the same lines as what Tom was saying. I'm sure a lot of us are musicians and music producers, and here are releasing music, and we're all worried about how much the music has been devalued over the years. And streaming, of course, is a huge concern for all of us because we get checks in the mail that are like, you know, $3, um, and we're getting thousands, tens of thousands of plays. And so... Um, I feel like people are now conditioned to feel to think that music should be free. A lot of my friends do this. I'll have a show, I'll have CDs out, and they just want me to give them a CD, and I'll have to explain to them, well, the, the cost of producing music is still very high. The recording equipment, the training, education, peop- and it just doesn't register to people. So I feel like it's getting worse with the streaming services. And these companies, a lot of them just, I feel like, I'm sure all of us agree, like, we feel like everyone just forged ahead. It all happened really fast. The rates came out, and everyone was like, well, what does this mean, Point zero 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 seven? It's like, what is this going to end up being? Um, they forged ahead with only, like, the bottom line in mind, not thinking about the re- the real repercussions. And so I've been talking about with friends, musician friends, and people in the industry over the years, like, what would you guys think if maybe a paid subscription, the, these companies from now on, they can't operate unless people pay $10 a month because just to be able to get the service for free with the advertising, I know they use advertising as a source of revenue, but why why not make people have to pay $10 a month? Because that's how people are, and then distribute that mu- music. Well, they, um, there's there's certainly the services money. that do that. I mean, Rhapsody. RDO. RDO. Mm-hmm. There's subscription services. Right. Do you think that money gets evenly distributed or do you, it just, they're always playing the poor, like Pandora and all these companies are saying, oh, we can't, we can hardly pay our employees, but yet they're worth billions of dollars. So for me, I'm just confused. So what what do you guys think? It's confusing and and it's frustrating. Like no doubt things are changing in a really big way. 
Um, and I ha- I'm happy to talk to you after this because it, there, there's so many things to break down in that. But I think the the high, very high level thing to cons- to like consider in this moment in time is like the music business has changed throughout history. The musician business, the the history of the musician business. We actually did a study inside Bandpage around this: how musicians made money, you know, a couple, from a couple hundred years ago up till today. And it used to be patronage, you know, where you would just, uh, you know, there would be certain people that would give money to an artist to to come. Play. And then it was the troubadours that would like fiddle on the you know bridge and do the thing, and then um, you know, and then you fast forward a bit, and then you know the, there were bands that played in you know in venues, um, and then the jukebox came out, and it everybody went crazy because it you know that's how musicians made money playing at venues, and now you got this machine that plays a bunch of songs, right? And then and then you uh, moved into recorded music. Um, and uh, you know all the things that we've been through over the last you know couple decades, and now we're at this point. But along the way, you know the musician business, the way you generate revenue as a musician, has changed a lot. It it feels like a massive change, you know, because it's so near and dear to us uh, over the last couple decades here. But you know, people need music. The the world needs it. it, it, it there, I have some like fund- fundamental philosophies about how music you know makes people feel and live um and they need it and so they will pay for it they will support the musician uh in one way or another so that music can can stick around as far as like you know the business model i know i know you know executives at pandora and spotify and all these companies they care a lot about musicians it's hard to run a business uh they have very thin margins um and they're they they are trying to pay out what they can while still providing a service um so it's it is frustrating and it's it's not easy, um, but I think as an industry uh, and as a you know as a people of, of music as musicians we need to understand look at the history of music and see the different ways we as musicians generate a revenue for ourselves over time and 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 reinvent that again today. All right, we got time for one more. Well, on that case, though, again, oh. I don't know if I necessarily agree. I don't know what the pricing model should be on streaming, and I don't know if it's ten dollars. Um, it's it's a difficult question. I was actually was going to bring up today, and I don't like necessarily like the free model because of of the advertising. Just for the mere fact of what they pay to the artist com- on a free model compared to what do they pay on a subscription service is, yeah, it's much different because there's just a lot more revenue being brought on a subscription. Obviously, I myself, you know, I'm a super user though. I mean, I would pay a hell of a lot more than ten dollars a month to have Spotify. Um, you know, I don't know what the I don't know what that even point is for the average consumer people, to actually do. And there. There's technology allowing people like you to give way more money to that artist. Yeah, or, or even more high fidelity or something like that. To that. Yeah. So there's got to be a, maybe an add-on or something like that. Or maybe there's another tiered service. But I don't necessarily like, you know, it's the radio model. It's the radio model where we'll feed you a bunch of commercials. And, um, you know, and, and the terrestrial side, obviously, they're just making that straight profit, at least on the digital side, at least Pandora is at least paying some of that back to you. But in that case, Pandora pays a hell of a lot more for a stream um, on on a subscription service than they do on their actual free service. All right, really quick. <laughs> that be, that being said, um, I, I I agree that um, people would much rather go to Spotify and get the music for free than buy it. And these these services are built on the content uh, of musicians, and um, there's got to be a way that, a bridge that that really helps musicians who are supplying this content and it's as a musician producer and recording artist i i know most people will go to spotify and listen to anything for free and um you know it really does take away from sales so 
what is the answer? How can we bridge well, I, that? And uh, <laughs> I, I promise you, we how will, can we educate them? <laughs> yeah, I promise you, we'll figure it out. Like we're we're gonna solve this. And and there are there are fans that see value in the music and the art that you create. And we just need to provide the way to to translate that value into dollars back to you as the artist. And it's just changing a little bit, but it it, it will be solved. You know, and, and I, I can talk to you over here for an hour as well, you know, <laughs> uh, about this. But, uh, you know, on average on Spotify, you know, the, the consumer is paying about three times more than, um, you know, than they used to pay just buying digital downloads. Um, and so, but I don't mean that to, 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 you know, debate that point. What I do mean is that your customer sees a lot of value in what you do, and we just need to figure out the best way for them to provide that value back to your, you know, wallet. Or purse or bank account. Whatever. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all very much for showing up today. Thank you to the panelists. And uh, catch you next time. <laughs>